I realize your guy shows for the war, which seems like it actually for the war, and it almost works. <laughs> listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from WoW Dogs, and For the Lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. And welcome to For the Lore. This is Roger coming to you on January the 11th. Uh, same as usual, we've got Joe as well as Enrique. And I, I didn't say it last time, so I will say it now. Plugging the sites, of course, Joe from World of Maticus and Way of the Totem, as well as Enrique from Spooncraft.com. I do try to remember each episode, but sometimes I do forget. So how are you boys doing? You can't complain. Things are going really well this weekend. I'm doing pretty damn good. I actually got... Since the last episode, the beta key for Star Trek Online. And I've been flaunting it like crazy on Twitter and having a grand old time announcing how much fun I'm having. You wanted an honest opinion of what the game is. Now, granted, I will be honest and say that I have not played hours upon hours, but I put in at least in closed beta minimum good 16 hours, if not longer. Right. I had a blast, an absolute blast. Now, it being closed beta, I could see a lot of the things that obviously were probably going to be tweaked. Um, It was interesting that they did some tweaks over the weekend, and so when I started it up today, I actually noticed some of the changes that they made, which were fairly cool, like the, the skills allotments and whatnot made a lot more sense after the um the 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 fixes that they did over the weekend so it was kind of cool to see that but the game is really really cool the um ship combat is so much goddamn fun it's unbelievable when you're going out there and you are having to watch all of your four shields then you got to be wondering which weapon is going to be firing because there's different four and a half weapons that fire um and then you got to be looking at your bridge officer um, skills, which when I was reading it, I knew what they were talking about, but I really had a problem quite putting the, putting it all together and, and get a, a visual feel of what it would be like to play it. But once you play it, yeah, those bridge officer things are important, very important. And, uh, and so it's very cool. It, I, I had a blast. Like when you go into different sectors and you are entering at the same time as other players, you get automatically grouped together. So like, just as an example, I go into one section and we got to go kill some Klingons because as I said during the interview, which we're going to splice in later too with Christine Thompson, there's always somebody out there that needs to get their ass handed to them because they're doing something they shouldn't ought to be doing. And it tends to be (laughs) the Klingons and the, um, and there's the Borg early on and stuff. So I go into one section, we got to go hunt five squadrons of Klingons. And your first ship really isn't that fast, even when you're putting points into it and whatnot. 
and you really are forced to work together with your group because it, it ramps up the difficulty depending on how many people are in there. If you're the only hmm, one so attacked, oh yeah, so you're forced to group with your your group, which is good. So I'm in with a couple of guys who are fantastic. Like we're we're chatting in the party chat. They're nice guys. We're working together as a team to take down these squadrons. We get two down, and um, and then we're going towards the third one because we didn't quite mesh and sync with how we were attacking i happened to be a little too close and i started taking the brunt of all the attacks and my shields were going like down faster than your mom on prom night it was unbelievable and then my hull integrity was dropping really really fast the 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 way that you know that you're playing a fun game is when you feel that energy that your chart, your you know your your heart pounding in your chest kind of thing, and there's that like I gotta get out of here, I gotta fix this, whatever. And then you're 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 looking to at all the abilities that you have, and and it was I used my evasive maneuvers, I got the fuck out of there. And then the guys probably thought I was leaving them, but what I did is I circled behind them, behind a, a big sensor thing and a meteor, and then I just helped them from behind. And when we got the the the, the squadron down, I almost cheered, like it really felt that cool. So, like, the ship combat, especially when you're grouping with other people, was a blast. The away missions... The away missions are your your standard MMO fare. You know, you're running around with your team and doing stuff. I didn't get a chance to do any of those with other players. So, what I did was more, like, the questing, which some of the quests early on are cool, but some of them I find still aren't as interesting because they are the early quests. They're not as epic as some of the ones you'll do later on. Oh, it's so, kind of a nature of the beast, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. So well, but, hold on a sec. I, I, I wanted to just double check one thing for sure. Just for the sake of argument for anybody who is listening to it, doesn't quite know when you're on the away mission, basically you are your standard MMO fare. Like you said, you are playing as yourself, like the captain and you're on foot and you're doing whatever it is you're doing with your other people, right? Your other players in your party, the other captain, so to speak, right? Well, not the other captains, but there's you and your team, your away team. So, and then okay. if you are going and you're grouping with somebody else, it'll be your captain, their captain, and then you both decide which members to bring of your away team as well to bring the ones that are the strongest, best equipped, the best ones for that away mission. Because the away missions are different too. One away mission, you want to take your tactical officer, bridge officer, because you know there's going to be fighting. Whereas another one, you may want to bring... show without having something break shut up just shut up <laughs> oh there you are. shut the fuck up oh. i had a good question too man i was like i wanted to know about like when you're saying oh we got the squadrons down it's like everybody gets their own ships or you're getting this big epic like you know if you got a five-man party you got five federation ships all together and this Epic kind of like, you know, season finale kind of looking battle. Yeah, when you are fighting, yeah, if you are like, when I was grouped up, it was me, like my ship, and then the other two guys as well in their ships. And so you've got your two ships going up against however many ships there are in the squadron that you're taking down. 
That is cool. That's gotten me excited about it now. Well, see, this is where you could really see where a coordinated strike force between people who are using Vent as well, say, where you're saying, target that one, target this one, everybody follow me, I'm going to target, and and things like that, versus everybody kind of going half-assed and attacking who they shouldn't be. You can really see how that makes a difference, because if you've got three, say, ships attacking just one, their their shields go down fast. Now, the thing that makes it cool as well is that... Again, you've got four shields, so they're moving as you're attacking them. So if you took down their four shield and they're moving so that you're hitting their rear shield, well, they've got a full shield now. You're not hitting their hull. So you've got to move as well with them to try to keep hitting that spot that you open up. There's a lot more tactical-based fighting that goes on with the ship, which is, I don't want to say that the away missions are disappointing. They're not. It's just... It's the same kind of stuff that we're used to, whereas this, the ship battles really are fantastic. They're well designed. Now, that being said, that's not to say that I don't like the away missions. I do like them, and it adds something very... It's different because it's on the fly. You go into a sector and you're given a mission. You don't know whether or not you're going to have to be doing something in your ship or as an away mission kind of thing. So it, it's all very cool. So here's um, a random question. I think I asked you this before, but I don't remember the answer, so I, I'm I'm sorry about that. But uh, you, you've have you ever tried Eve online out before? I oh. kind of did, but for literally less than a couple of hours. So okay. I really I'm not going to act as any kind of authority on the the subject. All right. So I, I I went to the Eve website once for about thirty minutes. And then I started to get a really bad headache, so I closed it. <laughs> well, the only reason I ask is because uh, I want to know how the, the ship battle compares between the two, because ship battles in EVE are actually pretty tight as well. And considering that that's going to be one of the things that it's compared against, I wanted to I wanted to kind of get a handle on that. I guess I'll have to wait. Well, yeah. is, is it fluid? While you're doing the ship battle stuff, was it fluid and tactical? Like, where you position yourself as if you were playing an FPS, you know, you got to cover, you've got to move your shields around, et cetera, et cetera. Is it that kind of, or does it feel kind of clunky where you just punch in mm. where you want to move in this minus space. Oh, no, no, you're minus moving. the shield. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, are you talking about EVE or are you talking about Star Trek Online? No, I'm, I'm talking about Star Trek Online. I want to know, uh, is it you're actually moving in that 3D space? Because that seems to yes, me you are. kind of hard without no, like a joystick or something. No, it's not at all. But what happens is that you, you're taught very early on that you can control the ship with your WASD as well as by holding down both mouse buttons and moving the mouse. You really have to get comfortable with both of those because what's going to happen is that while you're in combat, you use both at different times because you're going to find yourself also targeting, also using abilities and whatnot. There's a lot more thought that goes into the ship combat that, than is initially apparent. Um, I mean, when you're watching videos on it, you'll think, oh, it's kind of cool. But when you're actually doing it, if you're going into it with the attitude of, I'm going to try my best here to not just go in half-assed and shoot and shoot and shoot and hope I kill them, but no, I'm going to make sure that their four shield goes down. I'm going to make sure that I'm targeting that specific part of the hull also afterwards so i'm gonna have to stay flank them the whole time i'm gonna have to be using my bridge officer um talents or skills i can't remember what they call them i'm gonna have to make sure that i'm using those on top of that i'm gonna have to use say my my evasive maneuvers because that also allows me to move a little bit faster for little brief periods of time so there's a lot more thought that goes into it then on top of that you can divert power to your shields 
if you want to go on the defensive or to thrusters so you move faster or to your photons, torpedoes or whatever weapons you have. So as you're going along too, if you notice that you're losing health a lot too quickly because you've got three Klingon birds of prey attacking you, then you got to quickly change to divert the energy to the shields instead and then try to stay on whatever side the shields are strongest and divert all the power to that shield. There's a lot more technical or tactical abilities that come into play with the ship battles than I anticipated, which is what makes it that much more fun. Yeah, we're going to be the fucking Red Barons of that game, I swear to God. The more the more you're talking about it, I'm like, I'm not even a Trekkie, but just because I want a game that is that delivers that, that like player versus player kind of, you know, experience where you have to be very tactical in your movements, but you're in a fucking ship. Yeah, that is, I like that. That's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, it is very cool there. The, the ship does have its downsides as well, at least the starter ship. It takes a long time for you to get to where you got to be. I mean, it is not fast. I put points as also into making the ship faster, and I, t- I equipped it with some items that make it faster and whatnot. It's still slow getting to where you got to be. Now, luckily, you're warping in and out of different sectors and whatnot. But, like, if you warp into a sector and you're told, okay, there's five squadrons of, of Klingon here. You got to go destroy them. You'll get to the first one, excuse me, and then you're going to take it down. And then you got to get to the second one. It can take a little while to get to the second one. Now, you may see them in the distance and you can click on things and, and see how far they are. And, and you'll love this, too. It's in the metric system. So you can see that they're 20 kilometers away from you. I have time, like when I was playing the other night. I had time to alt-tab out of the game, and I was having that aim conversation with you, Rick, at the time. And then just casually alt-back, tab back in, and realize, oh, I still got five clicks before I get to them. Now, I know that's akin to your your MMO where you are running everywhere at the beginning until you get your mount. You're, you're bound to or, be slow at the start. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's to be expected. There's just got to be, there has to be goals. There has to be something to you know, work towards and travel and has is. always been one goal. Oh yeah. And there is because I can't wait to get a, a faster ship. It's like, I cannot wait to get a faster ship because as soon as you get into combat, that's where like, I don't care how long it took me to get there. It's a blast once I'm there. Yeah. I'm all excited now. I can't wait for tomorrow. It means it'd be tomorrow afternoon, like right now. Well, and it's not coming out until I think it's 12 noon Pacific time. So it's been, yeah, it's going to be a while our time before we're able to play. But it is definitely for anybody who got into the beta, man, let us know what your account names are going to be so that we can hook up and have some fun because I am definitely going to be playing a lot. Like I was going to be last episode, I said, I'm going to play through the Algonon so that I can give you guys a, a good idea of what I think of it. No, 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 no. They said, hey, do you want the Star Trek online beta key? And I was like, screw every other game. That's it. And then once I got in and I saw how cool it was too, like, hell, I spent so much freaking time just on the goddamn character creator. I mean, you can make your guy look like anything. There was just one option after another. And then you get into putting your different racial traits, species traits as well. And there's a bunch of those. And then just figuring everything out as you go through the the, the first little while. It is a lot of fun. I, I did find that some of the away missions where you're doing not exploration, but non-combat because they tried to insert more things that were non-combat. 
Well, when you're going to one of them, as an example, and you got to go talk to miners that are essentially striking. So you go to the main dude and he says, I'm not going to talk to you and negotiate with you until you can go and talk to my people and get a feel for why we are striking. Fine. So then you go and talk to six different people and you got to remember what they say because they're telling you different things that piss them off about the, the job and the, the, the lack of this, that this is not working. The, the Federation doesn't care about us. Then you go back to the dude and he quizzes you and you pass a quiz and it's like, okay, congratulations. Now we'll work with you. And it was like, yeah, that didn't feel epic. That really, it didn't do much for me. Again, it's the equivalent of go kill six rats, which is what you get in a lot of those starting quests. So I expected that I got, I just, as I was uh, playing the other day, it was starting to get more interesting with the, um, the, uh, I, there was a shapeshifter that I was transporting kind of thing. And that was a little bit cooler. And then the quest line was cooler once you're on the away mission and you're chasing after this shapeshifter and whatnot. That was actually kind of cool. And that sucker blended, um, the, um, it blended away mission with ship combat so that was interesting and I, I i know they're going to be doing a lot more of that later on and you can really see because of the way that they're doing it with the episodic content that there's really going to be a lot of uh, room for growth for them to just toss in quests and willy-nilly and we know what cryptic is like with holiday events and doing different stuff all the time can you imagine the holiday events they're going to toss into this it'll be a fucking blast so uh, while you were talking, actually, my uh, my phone buzzed, and I got an important email, actually, from Cryptic Studios. <laughs> Randomly Uh-oh. enough. Um, apparently, the servers are going live at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, not noon. Fantastic. So, yeah. And okay. uh, also, yeah, so just wanted to share that with everybody, because I literally just got that as we talked about the, the, the 12 a.m. <laughs> or the 12 uh, p.m. I've got some uh, some interesting breaking news that's not Star Trek oriented. If, uh, when you guys are done about Star Trek, I think actually we're done. I was about ready to move on, so shoot. Um, Sony Pictures has officially canceled and canned Spider-Man Four. So rumor has it Sam Raimi is going to be able to do the Warcraft movie much sooner than we all anticipated. Interesting. So there was just enough funk going on. There was a lot of like script disputes going on, like you know how Spider-Man Three was completely crapped all over. With you know all the changes that that Raimi had to put into the movie itself, and so it yeah. was just getting it was just it was starting to spiral down again the same kind of you know cycle with uh, Spider-Man Four. So Sony said that they were going to can it, revisit it in 2012 in summer, try to see if they can get it started with a new director, new cast, a bunch of new shit. Which to me means that you know Spider-Man's pretty much done. I'm not going to go watch those movies anymore, but. Um, Hopefully, the director of the World of Warcraft movie will be available to actually work on the World of Warcraft movie, and we're not going to have to wait the next couple of years to get it. I, I, I'm i kind of excited about that, but I'm also kind of saddened because Spider-Man 3, as much as people complain about that movie, it wasn't horrible. And the moments that were really horrible were because Sam Raimi was being a dick and it was hilarious. I was really looking forward to Spider-Man 4. I don't know. I was looking forward. I was looking forward to Carnage. I was too. Um, like I've I've talked to Sammy about this extensively, and to you a little bit. I'm not a comic book nerd by any means, but I like Deadpool. I like Spider Man. I love Iron Man. There's only like a handful of characters that I actually know that I will follow, and in particular, the story involving this one kind of 
at least with Spider-Man 3, I didn't dig. I mean, it had a lot of goofy parts in it, but I didn't like that they made such a small footnote of the Venom character and all that shit, which kind of bothered me. But, you know, whatever. But with that said, we'll be able to see the story of Arthas as done through Sam Raimi's eyes, which I'm kind of okay with. Do we have confirmation that it is Arthas' story? Uh, all sources are saying that right now. Mm, okay. Well, Sorry. sticking in with WoW then, the news this week as well was the addition of extra loot in Oculus to get people to play it. What do you guys think about that? Uh, actually, I, I've, I've been doing the random dungeon every day at 3 a.m. And I've gotten Oculus many, many times. And I really like this change because that means I'm not waiting for 45 fucking minutes for a tank. Because what would happen is people would zone into Oculus and then zone out as soon as they saw it was Oculus like a complete douchebag. Um and just leave the entire group hanging and waiting. And now they actually stick in because there's a, a tangible reward for them. And it's not a difficult, uh, it's not a difficult instance at all anymore. No. It's it's really pathetically easy actually. And uh, it's just extra cookies. And I like blue mounts. Um, my only kicker was that I didn't get it yet, and I saw two of them in random bugs so far. So yeah, but I'm, I, I think it's I think it's really I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move on their part because it is a, it's a great instance. It has great mechanics. Um, visually, it's stunning. It's one of their better instances that they've ever put out for heroics. And people were just saying it was you know they had this stigma to it. It's like oh this is so hard. Fuck this shit. And then people would quit. I don't. I mean now people are getting to to see it, and I'm not seeing hate. Our Oculus hates spam anymore. I'm starting to see, wow, that actually wasn't bad at all. That was actually a lot of fun. Wow, maybe we should do that again. You know, so I think it was a good thing. I think it was a very good change on their part to actually get people to try it. Now, I think that people shouldn't need a cookie to try something, but hey, whatever. Well, I, I, I echo those sentiments exactly, but um, it's funny because Blizzard took a with, – with this expansion, they've introduced something new to it, which is the phasing and then the vehicle mechanics, right? Right. And – one of the things that kind of blew up in their face, we love phasing, we hate vehicle mechanics. I mean, on paper, it sounds cool as shit, but when you're trying to do it in a raid, like, you know, for PvP, it sounds awesome, but trying to do it in a raid or in a five-man dungeon or whatever, it's it sucks because then you're suddenly thrust into a new situation in which you lose all of your abilities, you have to relearn basically how to play all from scratch, and your gear used to not count for anything with this. But um, with the Oculus in particular... I think a lot of the hate came from the media, believe it or not. Like, you know, websites, I mean, we had the forums, we had WoW and Saturday, we had everybody and their mother was going off about how horrible this instance was and how nobody liked it and how it's such a pain in the butt to do. And I, I admit the first, you know, the first time that we did it before even Oldar came out, it was a pain in the ass. But you go in there now, dude, it is my favorite five, man. I pray every time I hit the random that I'm going to get there because I'm getting eight badges out of one friggin' Oculus run, which is damn fun. And they nerfed the crap out of it to the point where I almost have every single achievement for that. We did Make It Count, which is doing the whole damn thing like in 20 minutes the first time with a complete pug. Um, I've done it with no green and with no green drakes in it. I've done it with no red drakes in it. I mean, they've trivialized the shit out of this dungeon, you know? And that's a good thing because, you know, it, it doesn't have very much in the way of of story it's kind of you know a crapshoot kind of dungeon it was meant as a gimmicky we're gonna let you play with vehicles kind of thing and they made it to the point where it's it's stupid simple fun right now and i i like it a lot it sucks that they do had they they did have to give us the whole you know we'll, we'll bait you now with a mount and more loot and whatnot to go in there but they had to fight kind of a they had to fight kind of a very steep uphill battle with 
how very, very few people did actually like it in its original form, you know? But I, I dare say they won. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's my favorite one. I hate it, and now it's, like, my favorite. <laughs> now, from WoW to Dragon Age Origins, we got news as well this week of the expansion pack that's coming out in March, Awakening. Um, they dropped the ball by delaying Ostagar and not telling us why or when it's going to be coming out, but they did announce the expansion that's going to be coming out, which is going to... I heard reports of both either 30 or $40 for it, um, and it looks like it's actually going to be adding a lot to the game, and in much of the way that it's not going to be adding to necessarily your character in that storyline because it's in the future, and it's, it's just going to be a completely different progression of that well, story kind of thing. You, you can import your character, though. So, I mean, if your character got the good ending, so to speak, you can still continue it. They've already said that. Yeah, you can import it, but it's not a continuation in that it's the same kind of that time frame. It's in the future, and it's it feels to me like it's going to be very much separate, and yet still a continuation of those basic principles with the Darkspawn and whatnot, but very, very different. You're going to be like that if you do it, without importing the new Grey Warden that has to set up the Grey Wardens again kind of thing. I I really like what they're going to be doing with it. I, go ahead. I was, I was just going to I was going to say it's also very interesting too. Um have you have you gotten to read the second book yet or no? I'm still working on the first one. Okay. Um it really is interesting too to see how um David Gator is working not what what was in these books into continuing the story which is pretty cool um that really makes me excited about it because awakening is um I don't know it's shaping up to be probably my most in, my most anticipated uh expansion so far for the season and I'm I'm just I'm excited I'm excited for the storyline of it I'm excited for uh the concepts that they're talking about like the evolution of the game and uh so far so good I mean they're they're really I mean I don't know I haven't been excited about a game like this in a while well I think part of that too is because the game is the whole package you've got the mm-hmm. games and you've got the novels so if you are the type of person who actually likes to read and enjoys really getting a lot of the backstory on the that world the novels by david gator are fantastic now you're reading the second one you've already gone through the first one i'm partway through the first one and it is really really good like the not only does a man write very well but he creates a, a good how do i say his writing skills are good, and yet he can also craft a good story, which are two very different things. You you feel for the characters. You really do care about them. Like when the the the, the prince is knighting the um, the the father at the beginning there, um, uh, Gareth. Yep. Literally, like you're almost tearing up. It's just really well written and you can feel the strife in that what is going on in the world at that time. So yes, he does a phenomenal job. So when you're taking that and you're blending that into then the 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 games because obviously he has written almost all of it, you really get a sense of everything working together very well in the the same history there's no having to worry about continuity problems it all fits well and the more that you read the more you're like oh look at that the witch of the wild in the book and they're talking about her and you're going ah see i remember meeting her and this and that and it all it's very very cool and it's even more so it's even more pronounced if if that can even be imagined in the uh the second book in the calling um it's just the the I, I finish it. I finished it in two days. 
Like I started reading it and I just could not put the book down. It literally consumed me every spare minute I had. And it was, I mean, he does, he crafts an amazing story and I can't wait to see how the story is, is twisted and crafted and in what is brought to bear in the awakening. And I'm looking at some of the screenshots and seeing all the different dark spawn that they're doing, um, the different demons and things like that. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm getting giddy. I'll be perfectly honest. I oh, really, dude. really am. The spectral dragon. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> now, all that being said, there's a lot of people really pissed off right now at Bioware <laughs> for dropping the ball on Ostagar. No word on why, no word on when we can expect it, and still nothing. See, and that pissed me off too because I actually emailed Bioware and typed them on Twitter, and the only response I get is we're pushing for as soon as possible. Um, I don't know if they're in some form of delay. Um, I don't know if what, what exactly is going on from the back end. I have a sneaking suspicion that it has to do with the um, – if you're reading through the threads and, and the forums that when they were testing it, they were having optimization issues. It was taking people with brand new computers and it was dragging into an absolute crawl. Uh, so they had to clean up the code. Um, I have a feeling that a last-minute code change might have uh, pushed uh, clearance from one of the three companies back. And until it gets – because if you notice, they don't release it on one and then the other and then the other kind of like what Borderlands does where now it's available on the 360 and the PSN and maybe later it will be available on the, the PC. They release all of it at once. So I have a sneaking suspicion that they're waiting for one of the three sources to say, OK, here you go. You're all set. That's yeah. just my guess though. So we're going to talk about Bayonetta and Darksiders in a little bit. But before that, this week also was uh, the Consumer Electronics Show. And so there were a couple of products. There's two that I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you guys followed a lot of it. I, there was some very, very cool stuff. From the the really cool to the, the, the unbelievably stupid, though. The really cool, <laughs> that Samsung laptop with the clear OLED screen so that you could see your hands behind it, which is literally a step away from holograms and shit, was so goddamn cool. Can you imagine an Apple tablet using that technology? Oh! Can, can you say data slate? Oh my god! It was so cool! And the fact is, is that if they can do that, it's they can incorporate that technology eventually into a slate. Now, whether or not they would want to, who knows? But we did get to see the the, the slate from Microsoft as well, which I got to say, I, I don't know, I wasn't as impressed with it. They've been holding off on the idea of a tablet for quite a while now, and this didn't quite do it for me. But that clear... OLED screen, very cool. From there to the absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be putting oh. this link up, and I, I do I not apologize for wasting five minutes of your life. Yeah, you feel free to stop the video at any time. I'm, I'll put it up on the site in the show notes. The iGoogoo Game Core, which <laughs> because PC gaming is so popular and yet so terrible to game on a laptop or on a, a keyboard and mouse with what most people game on a 14-inch monitor, apparently. And there's this stupid remote kind of that looks kind of like a blend of uh, a 360 controller with a small keyboard a scrolling mouse and a trackball oh dear lord it and the the product itself you look at it and go okay well it looks like just a regular old you know stupid product that comes out but the video 
when they start talking smack about consoles and that consoles are crap and they and this and that and showing what games will work on this it was unbelievable i laughed my ass off and you guys obviously watched the videos as well <laughs> all i have to say is if you guys watch the video what once it's once you get there if you if you want to laugh your ass off go to four minutes and 20 seconds into the video and just watch just watch the faces that the guys make while they're trying to showcase it and it is hysterical i can't believe that i thought it was a prank when when i first saw it i was like this this has got to be a joke this has got to be like you know yeah funny haha it's a gag all right we're gonna talk about the gag but then somebody actually named their product the iGoogoo I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, you got to oh, watch the video. So did you guys see anything that you enjoyed or did you follow much of it? Um, On the CES, yeah. um, actually, I, I was going to bring up the, the freaking see-through laptop because I saw a video of it for the first time today. And I thought that is, it's cool because you cannot see from the backside of the laptop. In other words, if the if it's facing away from you, in other words, if you're not the person using it, you can't really make out what is on the screen. You cannot really make out what that person is doing unless it's very obvious and porn. But, um, I mean, it, <laughs> that is really, really, really cool, man. That is – it's one of those weird things of technology where, I mean, I'm I'm a big I, – I don't like notebooks. I, I, I don't like laptops. I would rather actually have a, a tablet or a Slate kind of PC. I think that would be really, really fucking cool. It might – you know, for a business person or somebody traveling, that seems just – common sense like the better choice and if they actually have the technology to start getting to that level that's i'm very very excited to be uh, a grown-ass adult making a lot of money when it becomes public i was really excited about the laptop but another thing that kind of excited me and this might be because i work in the cable industry currently um is that direct tv is starting to, to talk about adding uh, 3D channels to their HDTV lineups, um, which is kind of big because that's a huge friggin' bandwidth hog. And if companies are willing to start putting uh, the money into producing that, it makes me wonder what else is going to happen in the next few years, uh, specifically for home entertainment. Um, you know, that was kind of cool. That was a little nifty tidbit uh, that, you know, started to hear like Blu-ray quality 3D being streamed directly to your cable boxes, whether it's DirecTV and eventually cable companies are, are obviously going to get on that bandwagon as well. Um, but I thought that was kind of nifty as well. That That's the death of the cinema as we know it, gentlemen. I, right, I now, right now, the only reason to go out for me, the only motivation I have to go to a movie theater and spend $10 on myself, $10 for my wife, and eight dollars for each of my kids which is kind of a lot of money just to go see a freaking movie not including the amount of money you're spending on snacks is because i'm gonna see it in 3d and it's gonna be really cool you know like i saw avatar and that was fucking amazing i'll see movies in 3d the kids will love it i'll love it it's a great experience if i'm gonna get to have that with sony's new like 3d tv line they're trying to talk about and whatnot to be able to get 3d at home in a home entertainment system that'll more than pay for itself in a couple months and the other thing about that, too, is it's going to start transmitting in full HD 1080p, which is different because currently uh, HD broadcasts are 720p. Uh, most people don't know that. So even if you have a 1080 TV, you're not getting the full the full shebang because it, it takes way too much bandwidth to push it through the pipes. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it would be the death of cinema. And no, it's not already dead, Sammy. People still go to the theater like myself regularly. Um, but, yeah, with something like that, there'd be no need. Well, I was going to ask you something because you actually work in cable before before we keep getting any further. I don't want to drag it out, but um, will that affect your normal internet bandwidth at all? 
for for like not just for cable users, but like in general, it seems how there's a lot of a lot of juice well, going through those pipes. With with the addition of switch digital video, um, which has recently hit since the the full digital conversion. Not so much. Um, basically, what happens is, is those channels lie dormant on most providers until somebody actually tunes into that channel on their box. Um, when a person then joins that channel, like let's say I'm watching, you know, Batman, Dark Knight, and HD, um, and nobody else is, I'll be the only one on that stream. Then if somebody else tunes the channel that's broadcasting it, they just get added to the same stream. So no more bandwidth is actually being used. It's just diverting a portion of the video output. So what it does is it frees up the vast majority of the pipeline so that bandwidth isn't being chewed up so you don't see a drop in it. And that's also something that will allow cable companies to start competing with things like uh, Fios. So straight fiber optic lines to a home. Sure, cable companies are going to be able to compete with that because they're going to have the bandwidth to spare. Cool. Okay. okay. Let's go back to games now. So we <laughs> had Bayonetta and Darksiders. So which do you want to talk about? Darksiders or the light, bright light coming out of woman's vagina? Which would you rather tackle first? Honestly, I'm going to talk about... I don't play either. I'd like to do Bayonetta first. Okay, go ahead. Bayonetta is absolutely hysterical. I mean, it is... It's a mindless game. It doesn't really have a whole lot of plot to it. I mean, essentially, your character is an Umbran witch who kills angels and takes their halos as currency and spends them in hell. And it's so over-sexualized. I mean, it's absolutely hysterical. I mean, her legs are 50% of her body. Um, her clothing is actually part of her hair. Um, it's just like a, apparently a witch thing. Um, and as you cast more spells, as you get more combo points, and as you ramp up the damage... Um, more of her clothes falls away because her hair is used in casting. Um, the best way that I can really put it is, is devil may cry on crack with a woman's vagina on screen. Um, I mean, one of her special moves is to, to, to pull up a pain horse and like whip chains around somebody's like the, one of the opponent's neck and strap them into the pain horse. And it's hilarious. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it, I mean, I wouldn't pay $60 for it personally because it's not like a game that I can see myself playing more than once, but my limited playtime on it, it's just, it's hysterical and it's fast too. Like it's really, really quick. Um, and I mean, it has something called witch time, which is very much like, um, uh, bullet time. But in order to trigger it, you have to dodge and attack at like the last possible second. And then it slows the game down to a reasonable pace. Otherwise, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And it is incredibly pretty. Like the, the rendering, the graphics are really phenomenal. And the gameplay is fun, but I can't see it having the, the staying power. I think after about a month, we're not going to hear about it anymore. Well, Can I... you describe a pain horse real quick for me? It literally is like a horse where it's the person gets strapped to the back of the head and like uh, there are ridges along the back of it uh, where the person's arms and legs are then tied at an angle where they're behind them as hard as it possibly can be. I will put the video on in the show notes as well so you'll be able to check it from there. Joe, if you still have the link to that, send it to me and then I'll make sure to add it to the show notes. Absolutely. See, it's one of those games where yeah, it's damn pretty. I don't have a problem with looking at gorgeous women, but it's it's so over the top that maybe if I played it, I'd see more of the humor behind it. Because playing it, I'm like, oh, give me a break. Like, I'm not 12 years old here. I don't think that 
this doesn't titillate me. I, I, I'm sorry to say, um, especially when it's so over the top, when she's sitting on the ground and spreads her legs and the light shines from her crotch. And I'm thinking, oh, come on, really? Like This that, sounds like an awesome that, game, dude. That <laughs> is a, wait a minute. That is an actual taunt in the game, too, by the way. See, to me, that's the thing. It's like, I think I've passed that age now. Of course, maybe I play it and maybe it works. Maybe it does. But from the video that you sent me that I watch, I'm like, oh, come on. Give me a break. It's it's a very stereotypical Japanese game. And I, I hate to say it, but it really, really is. Over-sexualized woman where you can buy tons of skimpy outfits like French-made outfits and, and uh, you know, schoolgirl, like, gym outfits and crap like that for your character. Um, very much like in Tales of Asperia where you could do that for your little characters and run around in, like, you know, French-made outfits, cat outfits and stupid crap like that. It's, it's a very stereotypical Japanese thing to over-sexualize the game. Now, did you actually get a chance to play any of uh, Darksiders? A lot, actually. I spent a good chunk of the weekend playing Darksiders over Bayonetta. Uh-huh. Uh, Darksiders is a much, much better game. It has a lot of potential. Now, I haven't gotten as far into it as I'd want to, but the thing that strikes me about it is Darksiders was marketed very much like Zelda meets Hell. And it is that. It does have a lot of those Zelda elements. It has a lot of the, the, the platforming that we saw in Ocarina of Time and that continued on in The Twilight Princess. The visuals are very nice. They're very polished. It's very shiny. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's cool looking. It's visually intense, and it's, just, it's all around nice. But when they build it as Zelda, I expected more platforming, less God of War action. But there's a lot of action in there. There's a whole lot of action. And it combines elements from a ton of different games. It's like an amalgamation of Zelda, Portal, believe it or not, um, God of War um, with with the real-time, you know, quick-time events and things like that. Um, and it kind of pushes them all together and pushes it out into the uh, – and pushes it out in one game. Now, that said, it's fun. It is a lot of fun. Um, the voice acting, some of it is a little – Rocky, um, but then you have Mark Hamill as your tormentor and traveling companion that randomly jumps out of your arm and like you know yells at you, <laughs> and you know that's kind of cool. But and the story is your classic um, heaven and hell type thing with a twist. Uh, the Riders of the Apocalypse are actually there to maintain balance and defend the Seven Seals, and whoever breaks the seals are the ones that you know flood the world. And what happens is the main character, which you play as War, one of the Riders of the Apocalypse actually gets tricked into breaking the seventh seal. So it, it's kind of nifty in that regard. And there's some very good story elements, but it's, I have to get further in the game. I want to spend more time on the game before I pass a final judgment right now. It's fun. It's interesting to play. I just wish that they would have built it as its own standalone because it is such an amalgamation instead of making the comparison to Zelda, because that makes an unfair comparison. So if somebody plays it expecting Zelda, that's not, entirely what they're going to get. They're going to get more than that. And they may get, in some regards, they may get less than what they expected when trying to compare it to Zelda. And I think that's one of its weak points was just marketing. All right. That is actually one that I am looking forward to giving a shot. Of course, between Mass Effect coming up shortly, the beta for Star Trek Online, and then the actual Star Trek Online coming out in February. And then, as Rick has pointed out as well, Bioshock 2 in February. I don't know when I'm going to have time. Yeah, it's it's gonna be rough. <laughs> you know, we we could just split, you know, our stuff because I, I I am unfortunately not gonna play Star Trek Online at all until probably the summer of this year. So I mean, like, 
you know, I, I, I'm going to be spending my money on Bioshock, dude. I want to try Darksiders, to be honest with you. I want to get a console first and then get Darksiders, <laughs> obviously. But um, I'm, I'm really still, not to keep switching up gears, but I'm really fucking excited for Bioshock 2, especially the multiplayer. The more I read about it, the more that I look at videos on it, I'm thinking, damn, this is going to be fun. I'm going to piss a lot of people off. I can't wait, man. I absolutely can't wait. That's another game that I'm really, really, really waiting for and starting to eat at me. Like, I just beat Bioshock 1, and I'm like, okay, more. Give me. Give me. Yeah, I'm the veins veins so fresh. Come on. (laughs) Literally, in 20 days. 20 days. I know. I know. Uh, I don't think it's going to be one that I pick up on day one. I just, I'm not going to be able to. Again, I've... I just spent a dropped a whole bunch of money on on the Star Trek Online as well as the Mass Effect Two. I am really looking forward to the Mass Effect Two because I haven't been playing any Dragon Age Origin because I've been doing the um, the Star Trek Online. And man, I'm feeling that itch between reading the book and I still have the guide that I kind of flip through every once in a while. I I man, I cannot wait to get back to that kind of play as well. Which I know that Mass Effect is not the same thing, but it has elements of that, and I cannot wait to play Mass Effect. Too. That's another game that's that's oh god, I don't know. I just Only I so want it. I want it so bad. But there's so many hours in a day. <laughs> Case in point. And with that, we're going to call it a wrap for this show. Make sure to stay tuned. We're going to have the interview with Christine Thompson, the lead writer for Star Trek Online. And after that, we're going to have a story as well from Joe. So again, thanks to the audience for tuning in, and we are going to be talking to you next week again, same as usual, at 6:45 p.m. for the pre-show. Take care. My name is Joe, and I am from For the Lore. This is a continuation of the tale of Loder. The full story, and all of its predecessors, can be found at wayofthetotem.com. Loder stood at the bow of the boat. He watched the plumes of smoke rising high above the waterway's mountainous walls. Yeva, Slag, and many of the other ship's hands stood near him watching the smoke with curiosity and trepidation. I don't like the look of that at all, one of the crew remarked. It wasn't long before the captain of the ship snapped the crew out of it and began barking orders. They still had much work to do if they wanted to get through Dagger Cat Bay into the fjord safely. Loder stood impassively looking ahead of the ship. His brow furled. Yeva nudged the shaman with her shoulder. Yai, goat boy! You be giving me the hibbijibbis. Loder looked down at his companion, pain and rage clear on his face. A lot of people died here. Very recently. Their spirits linger, tormented and angry. I can hear them, Yeva. I can hear them beg and scream. They cry for release from their torture. They beg for final death. It is most unnerving. Loder looked ahead of the boat again as the North Spear turned into the pass. He could see it high above them, impaled in giant spikes and chains. High above, several Alliance vessels rest, cradled between the walls of the bay. They're raging among them, fresh fires chewing at the ships. Fresh debris fell down to the water below. Loder could see them now, the spirits of the damned. 
moving listlessly among the wreckage. Rage welled up inside of him. So many dead. So many denied their final peace, he thought to himself. He could hear the shouts of the crew as they finally realized the source of the smoke. The captain ordered the sails to be doused so they couldn't catch fire, and they soon prepared to venture underneath the burning graveyard. Debris hit the deck and sails, but the wood proved too damp to ignite. The crew of the North Spear was grateful for that. They breathed a sigh of relief, thinking they were going to make it through unscathed, until a large chunk of burning debris landed on several of the crew members. Two were crushed beneath the beam, while another was set on fire, his clothing quickly burning. The crew member ran around and eventually dove off the side of the boat. As the rest of the crew freed their pinned companions and doused the fires on them, they could still hear screams of anguish and fear. They looked over the side of the boat in time to see the deckhand that dove overboard no longer on fire, but in the jaws of a large, hungry shark. The crew didn't have time to grieve for their loss, but instead pitched back to the work of keeping the boat from catching on fire. All the while, the spirits of the dead cried out. Slowly the boat exited Daggercat Bay, and Valgard came into view. The crew breathed one collective breath, and then hung their heads in a moment of silence for their fallen comrade. As they pulled up to the dock, Captain Brookman had them secure the vessel and gave his crew time to grieve. He set them on leave in Valgard, and they trudged to the inn. They were greeted by speeches of Captain Zorik and Vice Admiral Keller, inspiring their men to defend Valgard. As they moved in towards the inn, Loder heard a shout from nearby. Well met, brother shaman. Come, bid welcome to Thoralius. Loder looked around until he saw the shaman sitting not far away, his totems and brazier clear before him. He made his way over to the shaman and sat next to him. Thoralius gave him a warm smile and patted him on the shoulder. Ah, you are a young one, aren't you? I see much travel on your face. You have seen and done many things, yes? Tell me, what brings you to the fjord? Loder looked at the shaman, the fire of his shoulders contained by magic and chain. Yet Loder could still feel the heat. I come to seek what surely all the adventurers do now. I come to join my guild. I come to seek the defeat of the fallen son of Lordaeron, and to bring balance to this world once again. What is one such as you doing here? Thralius looked at Loder, and his smile grew larger. Surely you can feel them, boy. He let out a boisterous laugh. This land is full of spirits and ancestors of those very same that now siege this hold. Yet those same spirits are at peace. It is an odd sensation, and one I wish to investigate fully. And so here I am. Just then, a young warrior, soaking wet, ran up to the two shamans panting. He handed a small bag to Thralius, in exchange for a few silvers, and then ran off to dry the hearth at the inn. This, this is our air plant that allows one to see past the veil between our world and that of the spirit world. The veil is already thin here, and many actually allow us to step between worlds, the way of speaking. The Admiral will beat answers out of anyone he manages to capture, I'm sure. And the dwarves have already begun excavations that will yield much in the way of secrets of the past. But what 
we could learn about the past year from the very spirits that haunt this place. That is a rare opportunity we must seize. Thralius looked at Loder and noticed that he was staring back towards the rocky walls the North Spear had arrived through. You see them, don't you? Loder nodded slowly. I can see them. I can hear them in their screams. Their pleading for release haunts me. I... I can feel them. It is most unsettling. Thralius placed his hand back on Loder's shoulder. My boy, you have a gift most of us could only dream of having. With this herb, even I can only see some things, but not all of them. I have a feeling if you were to use it, if you were to inhale the fumes of this root freshly burned, you would be able to see everything. What is your name, my son? I am called Loder, student of Nabundu and member of the Guild Impossible. Well met, Loder, the older shaman shook his hand. Loder, normally I would not ask this of you. Especially having just met you. With your talent you could see much and learn much that may aid us in stopping the force of giants the Lich King employs. What do you say, boy? How about a quick jaunt into the land of the spirits? There's a keep only a few dozen yards ahead. I'm certain there will be much to see there. Many spirits to listen to. Loder thought it over. It was his duty, after all, was it not? He had made a promise to his people and the Alliance to do what he must to aid the war. I will do it, Thralius. I will learn what I can for the good of the Alliance. Give me the root. Loder took the pouch from Thralius and placed its contents on the brazier before him. He leaned over and inhaled slowly and purposely, willing his mind to still. He focused inward in the way taught to all shamans, and pushed his energy to a single point. He began to ask the spirits to grant him their vision. Slowly he felt a new sensation flow over him, cool and comforting. It brought with it a sense of calm. And when he opened his eyes, the world of color was gone. It was replaced with a world of cool, muted blues and grays. The sky above was devoid of clouds, but in their place loomed many winged creatures. They looked remotely angelic, with wings and weapons, and seemed to be patrolling the area. Loder stood slowly and slipped out of the front gate, and made his way cautiously through the village to the giants. He peeked in each home, avoiding the roving spirits above, and hearing the various tales of each resident spirit within. Among the last homes held the greatest surprise, something that no one may have even known. Here was a family of spirits, a father and a mother. Crying between them was a small baby, an incredibly tiny baby by comparison to its parents, Loder noted. These ancestral spirits were frantic, trying to figure out what to do with their child. They seemed to think their baby would be killed. They plotted to hide it away elsewhere in Azeroth. Loder visited the few remaining instructions and heard similar conversations. 
references to runs to weaklings and having to hide the children away. Could it be? Could this be where humans actually came from? Loder thought. Unlike the dwarves, the human creation mythology had always been lacking. Just one day they came to be. Maybe this was their point of origin then. Loder was quite excited this information would be quite welcome to the Alliance indeed. Pleased, he began to move back towards Valgard where he would drop the spell. He moved closely to the giant's keep, avoiding the flying angels. It was then he turned the corner towards the front of the keep from its side that he had his biggest shock. There, on the front of the keep, stood the Lich King, his frozen eyes staring straight at Loder. The villain was flanked on both sides by the angels Loder had been seen patrolling the skies above. Loder froze in place, unsure what to do. Then the giant, the Lich King himself, raised his hand towards Loder. I'm very disappointed to report that, unfortunately, due to a file corruption, the interview with Christine Thompson will not be in this episode of For the Lore. Those who were fortunate enough to listen live, however, got a little bonus. That being said, however, Christine has graciously agreed to be interviewed and put up with us once more in two weeks' time, which means that the 25th of uh, this month... She will again appear on For the Lore, though this time, due to redundant backups, there will be no chance in hell that the interview will not appear. So I thank Christine very much for her patience in this matter. And as well, to our listeners, I am sorry that you will be a little disappointed, unless again you were there for the live Ustream, in which case, well, you'll get a little bonus here in the interview again on Monday in a couple of weeks. <laughs> 